Hi everyone, my name is Valerie. And I'm Marin. And welcome to The Modern Idealist, a podcast for career-driven professionals looking to make an impact. Welcome back to another episode of Modern Idealist. I'm Valerie. And I'm Marin. <laughs> Today we've got an episode of Modern Idealist with Power Friends. Yes. So, um, a couple of episodes ago, we dropped a hint about your new venture, Marin, Umbrella. So, today we've brought on the founding team together to talk about what they're doing, the dent that they're putting in the world, and some of the big conundrums. Can't hop over that. It's basically all we like to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it's, it's important so that we can mm. uh, progress, right? So, we're talking about all the conundrums that they face around creating change. Yes, so I am super excited to talk about Umbrella. In short, we are reimagining the global workforce. We want to challenge the systems that underpin the way society works and uh, amplify diversity to create genuine, meaningful impact. So we want to welcome Yoti and Sabrina. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me here. Yeah, thank you both. So happy to be here. Again, I've been here before. I have not. <laughs> that is true. Welcome back, Yoti, and welcome, Sabrina. Um, for those of you who aren't used to the voice yet, I think we will we will get close. And if not, just listen in uh, to our International Women's Day edition. Then you'll remember who Yoti is. We can, yes. and, and you can hear some great content on that episode. Then you also know who Sabrina is. So, Yoti, last time we had you on um, that episode on the International Women's Day edition, and now we have you here. Uh, so thank you for gracing us with your presence again. Thank you for having me again. Uh, as the uh, co-founder of Umbrella, tell us more about that journey. Yes, I always struggle with this question. Where do we start? Uh, I think I want to start with talking about my journey meeting Marin, because she's kind of the person who was the starting point of uh, the first company that I built, Skillhoose, with focus on bridging the gap between skilled migrants and um, Norwegian companies and also working with, you know, consultancy. And she was my, funnily enough, business developer. And she really pushed me hard to to start this company, even though, you know, it was difficult and it was challenging thinking, can I really do this? But she kept me really motivated during that journey, uh, you know, of course, we became friends and we um, started meeting each other and we had these conversations about, you know, uh, the challenges that migrants were were going through. Fast forward three years, here we are today, we're building up Umbrella with focus on, you know, helping skilled migrants, but also working within, you know, strategy and innovation and how we can help reimagine the diverse workforce. Yes. That sounds amazing. Can I just interject and say that Marin's kind of like everyone's chief business development officer. <laughs> <laughs> like, hashtag sailing services. And, um, honestly, like you just call her up and like have a casual chat and it always turns like I'm just looking for yeah. some like after work wine chat and it turns into a business development chat. I feel like always yeah. does. Yeah, exactly. And sorry, I just want to say one more thing. It you know, it started with a cup of coffee. It was one cup of coffee and that turned into a friendship. And here we are, you know, after four years, five yeah. years. Yeah. How many people are going to ring us up tomorrow and be like, that's how I made it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, amazing. So I want to move over to Sabrina as well, just to get you properly introduced over here. So coming from down under, you've arrived in Oslo, from Sydney, 
thankfully we uh, don't have slush here yet so you get to experience the nice fall and then into the snow and then just don't mind the slush part right now um, <laughs> and you've jumped right into umbrella with full gusto after a month of being here so tell us more about um, why you're here and how did you get involved with this work yeah I'd love to tell you my story and like all good stories I'll begin with how I met Marin. <laughs> Uh, because that's really what this podcast is all about. So I, this is my third time <laughs> blushing next to me in Oslo. And I guess really where this all began was three years ago when I came here on a program that was about innovation and entrepreneurship and leadership just for young professionals. And that was a program that was directed and coordinated by Marin. And that was the first time we met. And it was my first time being exposed to the startup ecosystem a really disruptive kind of business and innovation and enterprise. And I just remember throughout that entire 10 days here, it was nothing like I'd ever seen before. And I just thought, whatever this is, I have to be a part of this some way, somehow, someday. And it was just the most energizing, um, ambitious, kind of bright-minded community that I'd ever come across. And so after that program, I've actually worked in banking back in Australia over the last five years or so, and then started to start exploring what the startup ecosystem looked like over in Australia. And at the same time, I was studying anthropology and business information systems and kind of had a lot of different pieces moving at the same time. And throughout it all at the back of my head, I was really waiting for the right moment to really step into my life's work. I kind of knew that whatever I was doing at the time wasn't it, but I was developing a lot of really important hard skills, developing a lot of really valuable connections and learning a lot because I had a lot to learn. And then I got to an inflection point about three months ago where I thought I'm ready for my next, you know, big swing. And I had just been here where I met Yoti in April earlier this year in the springtime. Yeah. Yes, it was springtime. Trying to do seasons maths is really hard for me because it's all the opposite. <laughs> but I was here and it was beautiful. And then I met Valerie here as well. And we just kind of reconnect every time we're kind of on the other hemisphere we always connect Marin and I and I was over here this is actually I don't know if I've said this to you but on the train as I was like leaving um after my kind of little whirlwind romantic little five-day solo travel thing in the northern hemisphere she'd said to me you know god wouldn't it be great if we built something together you know wouldn't it be cool if we like we'd have so many great and she, I don't think she realized at the time you planted this massive seed in my head <laughs> because I love travel and culture and the world and social enterprise. And I think there's just so much potential to create really dynastic change in the world. And it's just always been a dream of mine. So I kind of came home and it just was stewing and stewing. And then eventually I was like, yeah, I'm going to leave my, I'm going to leave my steady corporate job. Cause what's the fun. And you know, if not now, when couldn't think of a better time, a better person to reach out to for um, something a bit bolder and a bit more epic and then kind of messaged her and the timing worked out and I got on a plane and I came over and just said, I just want to add value wherever I can learn wherever I can. And it's been honestly more than I could have possibly imagined. It's been a month, but I feel like I've learned more in the last 30 days than I ever could have in like a decade, honestly. Oh, um, wow. Oh my God. What a depiction of reimagining the global yeah. workforce. Like, <laughs> you know, go out there, try something new. Yeah. 
take it home, try it out again. If it still doesn't work, hit yeah. that inflection point, take that big swing, just hop mm. on a flight, go like as far as you can. Literally the, the furthest world. possible place yeah. away. And you guys painful. are coming from such far places. It's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, hack down for you, Sabrina. It takes a lot of resilience Thank you. Uh, to do that. And the fact that you came on the other side of the world, that's, that's incredible. And we're so lucky uh, mm. to have you on this so journey lucky. as well. So Thank lucky. You. I'm just like sitting here beaming with joy <laughs> yeah. and blushing. And I just feel this immense gratitude. Oh, I don't even know where to start. I'm worth so- <laughs> I'm just so, I love you guys. <laughs> then would you kick it off for us, Marin, if you're um, oh, sort of, if you're ready, <laughs> if you're living in these, you know, this feeling, um, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked a lot about it. Uh, so I want to hear in uh, each of your own words, you know, what does reimagining the global workforce mean to you and maybe collectively to mm. you? I guess some of it is involved in the stories that have just been shared. It's reimagining it is, if I just take a step back, you know, I've talked on a podcast about how if aliens were to come down on a Wednesday at, you know, 2 p.m. (laughs) and they looked at, um, you know, oh, look at all the rolling hills and the beautiful nature Mm. and, you know, the streams and the valleys and wait, where are all the people? And they're just sitting in little cubicles tapping away. Mm. And that's just like, how does that even make sense? Mm, Why are we living like this? And, you know, I'm just talking about this as from a, you know, office jobs, Mm. but there's so Mm. many layers to this. I'm just Mm. shortening the story. But I often think about how, the way that we do things is so broken and it's Mm. based on old systems that aren't working for any of us. We just had a talk on um, toxic masculinity last week with Mm. Daniel Roth. And even from the male perspective, we always talk about what it's like for women and non-binary people and how, or, or migrants or people outside of, you know, this kind of status quo Mm. roles, how hard it is for them, but it's not working for anyone. Mm. And I think just, talking about, you know, disrupting nine to five, like what the workforce looks like, how we should be living our lives and how do Mm. we create lifestyle? How do we create more inclusive workforces where we have diversity of thought to be able to uh, change and take a look at some of the systems and structures that just don't need to be there anymore. So Mm. I think for me, that's really the starting point. And I see you know, entrepreneurship or Mm. projects and ventures uh, as a part of that. But I also see bringing more diverse talent into the workforce to be able to create meaningful impact and kind of change the undergirding of the way business is done Mm. is also a primary passion of mine because, you know, hierarchies aren't working, even the way that flat structures we have Mm. aren't working Oh God, I I feel like I'm so much better talking about this stuff when there's not a microphone in front of me. Um, we've just been talking about this for the last hour plus, and now I'm just kind of like I've, I've got all these good feels, and then I'm trying to get on my soapbox again. But that's I mean it, it's really the intersection between the structure of work, uh, mm. the systems that are broken and aren't working for so many people, most people, and then about you know changing lifestyles so that we mm. can actually be able to have a decent life and thrive so that we mm. don't get to 60, 65 plus and go shit. Mm. Where is all this time gone? Mm. And we've just spent our times work, uh, working to live. 
yeah, looking back on our lives and seeing how much anxiety we have, how much burnout we have. Like Mm. if we look at the state of the workforce right now, there's so much people are getting burnt out more than ever before. There's so many more mental health issues. You know, we talked about just previously in the conversation before we started the podcast about how much the body keeps score of what's going on. So we have this kind of global crisis uh, in the way we work and we have just especially in the West, we have these unlimited resources more or less that we're not tapping into to create the change that we need to. Yes. So Yossi, I want to hear from you. Mm. I mean, you also have a, a your own personal element to this as well. Yeah, I felt like Marion kind of uh, stole a lot of the information <laughs> that I was going to say. You know, echo and agree with everything that uh, Marion is saying. And I think I, if I can just add a little bit as well, um, just thinking about, uh, you know, going back to like, why did I start this company? And for me, it's about going back to lifestyle, you know, the, the work that we're doing, it's not just a job. It's about creating a change and creating differences in people's lives. Mm. And I think also the people that are most vulnerable, um, I think that is so important because they, they bring so much to the table. And unfortunately, the society don't see that today, a lot mm. of us. So that's what I want to create a change. But also working in the Nordic society for quite some time like one of the things when we talk about you know reimagining diverse workforce is also about how are you know the structures in place today when we look at education system when we look at how people how they're qualified there's a culture in Norway where we talk about you know you need a bachelor degree and then you need a master's degree but I I want to challenge that and I want to disrupt that like how do we utilize the incredible people who very often don't get accredited for the certifications they bring from different parts of the world. And that quite often happens. So it's like, how do we uh, reskill the talent and how do we move away from, um, you know, working or studying at universities to being able to do accelerated programs or shorter systems or diplomas and certifications? Because we see that there is a huge migration flow, not just in Norway, but all parts of the world. Like, how do we utilize these skill sets? Because there is a need in the market, but on the other side, um, we're saying that we're screaming for people and they're not here um, in a society, but they're there. It's just we need to be able to tap into them. We need to reskill them. And at the moment, unfortunately, we're not doing that. Mm. Um, and that was kind of also the, you know, the start of Umbrella. Um, I love that. Trying to sort of challenge the norm. And I think where the perfect people to do it because we bring not just different skill set but we also come from different parts of the world different cultures and we want to be a part of a change and, and challenge like what we see in society today but even on an intersection uh, mm. or intersectional level you've got your parents are indian mm. migrated to norway yeah and then you grew up in norway and then uh you lived over 10 years in Australia. So just on a cultural identity basis, you have this intersection that brings so much richness into like having three, like, you know, of course with travel that also increases your perspectives as well and how you learn Mm, and acquire knowledge, but just in your own personal lived experience sphere, you have three very different viewpoints of the world that you can combine together it's just makes you really unique in the way that you see opportunities for people. Exactly. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's a, that's a really, really good point and a really good reflection. I also think that also kind of makes us, uh, if I dare to say, the right people uh, to be able to work with some of the challenges that we're trying to solve because we're not just looking at helping people just in Norway. We're looking at across the world, uh, having that sense of, empathy as well uh towards like people that are different to yourself like how do you so my cultural background has given me the opportunity to put myself in their position in their shoes to see okay well what are some of the challenges here and how can we part of that solution and connecting with them that I think a lot of people that haven't really moved around the world will have the same purpose but also same connection to mm-hmm. people yeah, exactly. And I loved, I just want to bring up the point uh, that you made up earlier on um, how you're really connecting to global forces happening at the same time. And it's what you're witnessing is just, um, it's not sort of, it is a lot of socially driven reasons. But on top of that, you're literally just seeing that forces are happening. People are moving um, around, migrating around, and there is a global workforce that is demanding a certain skill set in certain locations and not able to to fulfill those um, competencies in place often. Companies are not able to fulfill these competencies. And you're literally applying commercial mindset to connecting these two global forces happening at the same time and bringing value to both sides. So it's very, um, I love that because it's got that social angle, but very much commercially driven and so I just want to move over to Sabrina uh, and I've saved the question or, or sort of the take on what reimagining the global workforce means for you mm. and how you self-identify as well. Mm. Uh, I've saved that last for you because I would like to think that you are so eloquent with your words that oh, you can definitely, <laughs> no pressure. I'm just, oh, I'm just kidding. But for our listeners, prepare yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Sabrina. She's going to tie just, the perfect bow. Yeah, she's just, just yeah. away. We stop. Okay, okay, okay. It's <laughs> magic. But, uh, Sabrina, please, right. just take it away and right. it's, the floor is yours. All right. Okay. I think the beauty of having a mission like reimagining the global workforce of the future is that it encompasses so many facets and dimensions and it really taps into every person's lived experience of feeling belonging or the opposite in their lives and the beauty of umbrella is it's kind of where a human cause meets its business case and it's really what you just spoke about and what makes us a really great team as well is that we come from all these different intersections of lived experiences of diversity and it just comes in so many so many forms and our business really taps into all of those elements i don't know if we're going to go into that later and essentially in terms of my background and my identity and and where i come from i'm chinese australian my parents moved from china to australia in their 20s and i'm a second generation chinese australian And then, so I've sort of seen their experience, their lived experience, heard their stories. I've had my own lived experience. And then I've traveled a lot and met so many people and learned about their kinds of lived experience as well. And I think reimagining the global workforce of the future is kind of, you know, it's what you said. It's yes, it's important. It's socially, it's just the right thing to do. But also if you're thinking about the world in 10 years and what that looks like, and you're thinking about your workforce your markets, your value chains, they're all going to be global. They're all going to be everywhere. So how is it not in any company's best interest to actually invest long-term strategically 
in looking for people around the world who understand and really building teams that reflect the communities you're trying to serve in the first place. So for me, it just, it really makes sense. And I think that there are some people who see that and some people who don't yet, but I think it's important if you're going to think in decades and think in years and build sustainable growth in a global market, it's just inevitable that this is going to happen and it's going to become relevant. And the earlier you can get on board with that and invest in that and understand it better, the better place you will be um, for whatever your whatever your mission is in life. And then on top of that, it's just a really enriching and humbling thing to be able to understand and be empathetic and connect with people who are not the same as you. And I think coming from a, a background of anthropology and being so involved in ethnography and doing economic research in different parts of the world, you really learn. It's a very humbling sort of an important experience. I think everyone should learn anthropology to some degree mm. because then you'd kind of realize like there is a part of the world out there where no one knows who you are. You are completely irrelevant. But the fact is that for some people that's really shocking and sad and terrifying, but for other people that's just their everyday existence. And mm. that's, that's crazy. Like mm. that's not right. It takes actually connecting with people who've seen that and felt that to really understand and actually go, okay, what's my role in this? Because everyone has a role to play. Yeah. And if you're ever in a situation, I think it's really important to think about, reflect on your own accountability in any situation. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's really never about kind of pointing fingers or saying, you know, anyone's done anything wrong. It's just creating understanding and awareness yeah. and then action on top of that. So I, that's my, that's my summary. So Really, really well put. I love that you talked about the horizons, the future, and how can you not be on board with that? And I love that you focused the angle of an organization, mm. of a company as well. Mm. If we were to like look at that for a second, yeah. I mean, into this future, one thing is to imagine it, but the other is standing from where we are now. There's yeah. got to be changes that companies yeah. are making, and that's essentially what you're helping mm. with. Yeah. Can you tell us more about um, what kind of changes do you see companies need to make? I think for me the more we connect with businesses on this level, it's the heart that needs to change. If you think of an organization as a body with a brain and a heart and um, stretching out to the world, what we need to change is the way that the heart centers around the organization. And everything, you know, Sabrina and I were talking about this before, but there's so much kind of cognitive understanding of business. And we've talked about this in the podcast, Valerie that because we're so focused on what happens on a logical basis, we're missing the heart of, you know, just having compassion for our fellow colleagues or looking above or looking outside of our bubbles. So I think having recentering the heart and this whole human-centered design of a workforce is where it begins. And I think what's exciting for me is I think it was one of our early episodes, Valerie and I did, uh, there was a report on Gen Y and Gen Z and how they're looking at the workforce. So they were looking at, they were looking at inequities and injustices. They were looking at climate change and they had a lot of things to say about this. And so just on a basic level, if we're talking about attracting top talent, we need to be abreast of what the needs of the next generation are. So 
just going, okay, well, people don't want to live for work anymore. They don't want to have these lifestyles where they're seeing their grandparents and their boomer parents uh, in these jobs that they resent. They want to have purpose. They want to have meaning. They want to be able to do things now. Like we know in less than 10 years, if we don't uh, curb our carbon emissions, we are going to be fucked up as a society. And it's, developing and emerging nations that are going to be hit the hardest. So thinking about all of these things comes back to that heart center. And when you have a difference of views and understanding of the world, because you have people from other markets coming in and saying, yeah, but how does this affect, you know, my community back here, or these are the things that we've seen. So it opens our bubble and expands our compassion, our understanding that's the starting point. But paradoxically, it's also the hardest place to start within organizations because they're still thinking what's bottom line or this comes under corporate social responsibility or, you know, so we're still seeing things from that logical economic lens, but not seeing how, if we go back to the heart of things, that also improves our economics on a long-term basis, as Sabrina was mentioning before, but also starts that healing of all of these mental health challenges, all of these fragmented family lives, everything that we're experienced that's creating more individualistic societies where we feel lonelier and it's harder to just get up in the morning every day and (laughs) do what we do. I love that. Um, Mm. Can I just dig on that a little bit? Because for a lot of our listeners who are in the working in business, I've met a lot of well-intentioned professionals out there. Many of them can be on board with the long-term vision but also struggle to deliver that because if you can't make the short-term needs, the PL needs, and at the end of the day, if it falls under, then you have to cut staff. I've seen that in recent trends in the startup worlds uh, across the US and Europe with the economy, lots of companies switching from growth strategies where they're able to have long uh, burn run- runways to changing to profitability strategies where they need to start showing some uh, income in essence and that it's uh, profitable. For our listeners who are wondering sort of how can I show up to deliver in somewhat or how can I navigate these two? How would you work with that? A lot of people's challenges to doing the long-term good is that if you can't do the short-term good, then the company will collapse next month. From my own personal experiences, working with a lot of startup and scale-up ecosystem, I, I quite often see the opposite where, you know, they often will say, well, we need people that are different to ourselves. Like we need people that are, um, you know, we're not just talking about migrants, but people that bring in different experience and knowledge. So in my perspective, from what I see is they need those people that are different to themselves and, and not being homogeneous because that's a loss for the company. But I think it also depends on what the product the company is delivering and mm. who the market is. But that's more on the, I guess, on the personal experiences. Yeah, I I think your question is so relevant and so, so interesting. And I think, and tying into your earlier question on what companies really need to have front of mind when they're planning for their, you know, long-term goals and even linking into what Marin said about Gen Z's 
you know, having really different standards. And you think about the world now and the digital economy and how rapidly we're globalizing. There are so many options out there to make a living now. And I think especially big kind of, you know, consulting firms who kind of took for granted that people wanted to stay here from the age of 20 and then retire and stay there for 40 years and become a director. Like, I don't know a single person, a Gen Z who who Mm -hmm. wants that, you know? And so these companies actually, I think, really need to rethink how they're thinking about what they're offering to employees now because the standard has shifted. And I think COVID, the pandemic, also catapulted us into this new age of realizing what we're actually capable of from a technological perspective and a way of working perspective Mm. and thinking about remote work. And I think especially in Australia, that kind of shift came so fast and it came before anyone was ready, which is almost what made it so sort of dramatic and really visceral and very like intense for everyone. So I think it's a bit different in Norway because you have really different social welfare systems and policies in place. But over in Australia, I saw a huge difference in how remote working helped women, helped, you know, socioeconomic um, classes Mm -hmm. and, you know, mobility from all these different perspectives. It's all kind of intertwined. None of these issues exist in isolation. Mm -hmm. And then I think about pace and I think about communication. And now we live in an age where, you know, we're kind of overburdened with information Mm -hmm. and and that challenge with that is it's incredible because people can learn so much you have this huge economy but then at the same time people can get really overwhelmed with kind of understanding what the expectations are or what their needs are or the role that they play Mm -hmm. and it can actually also dilute focus so I think in in relation to the question you asked about long-term strategic goals and then short-term kind of needs it's actually about front-loading the conversation and expectation of this is what we need now to yeah. get to here later. Yeah. And so if you kind of have one without the other, it will fall apart either way. But if you kind of are able to paint, if you're able to communicate effectively a bigger picture and get people to see the role that they play mm-hmm. in relation to that bigger picture, that's the kind of key. Yeah. You can't just get people to do something without explaining why, but then you also can't give this big lofty vision mm-hmm. where people don't understand like what that has to do with them and how they yeah, can exactly. play a role in it. So, And I love the way that you pointed out a very mm. concrete thing. Um, I mean, you, you basically said that there were concrete alternatives out there for yeah. the young workforce today. Yeah. And we ourselves are sort of experiencing that mm. uh, in different ways. And we're ways. representative yeah. of that as well. Exactly. Like none of us uh, want to exactly. be doing kind of that traditional role or we're mm. constantly trying to buck the mold or break the mold. We all represent sort of upskilling and reskilling ourselves mm. uh, outside of the traditional and traditional uh, methods mm. and being able to sort of leave that. I mean, that is as concrete as next month. That is mm. the short term as mm. well. Like uh, it's not just Gen Z, it is Gen Z and, you know, millennials and even yeah. sort of, it's it's actually making, I don't know if you guys are witnessing this and so you're in, working in the space more, but I think we've been saying Gen Z a lot, but I actually think it took some time for the millennials and mm. the generation before us, Gen Xers, they are actually, it's it's rubbing off. I Absolutely. Think we all mm. want it. It's just mm. that was never believed yes, before because exactly there was a time right. for that. And I see that now, even like, Gen Xers, they're like thinking, yeah, they still have, they still have 10, 15, 20 years to work. Yeah. Yeah. They're seeing yeah. that in their future. And I, I think also like I did across the pandemic, I did so many digital workshops mm. and uh, on well-being mm. and how people are going uh, during COVID. And there are a lot of the boomer generation that were just like, okay, this was really, really difficult at mm. first, but now so much of my time has mm. opened up. 
you know, and as you talked about before, Sabrina, that navigating that space between the information overload and then the emotional overwhelm uh, and not being able to put a line in the sand yeah. because you can always be on. That's, yeah. you know, where well-being is being uh, affected. Yeah. But if we can use or wield these tools yeah. in a way that works for us, it makes it so. And, and this is where it starts with leadership and understanding, okay, how do we make sure we take care of our workforce regardless of where they are make sure they put a line in the sand put different uh wellness initiatives uh front and center mm. i think that's gonna be a part of shaping it but it's not happening fast enough because it's like oh shit we we better do something on wellness all right let's just yeah. get you guys in here and we talk about it but it's okay well how do we start re what's the word re-establishing the foundation yeah. And that's on a, you know, we talk about this on a diversity level a lot. There's often diversity exists in a little silo in a company and maybe there's one or a sprinkle of people that are flying the flag, but it's not embedded in the organisation. It's the same with wellness. They might have these things, but it's not embedded in the organisation. Mm. So how do we take this human-centred approach uh, and putting people front and centre of the change and rebuild these foundations where we're not seeing people as sort of disposable economic assets or liabilities because if you look at people and I think about this when I'm doing one-on-one coaching mentoring business development I always think of it it's if the student isn't working the way you need them to it's the fault of the teacher and you know obviously there's probably many teachers who are like what the hell are these shitty little kids like this is a lie <laughs> I'm <laughs> Yes. Uh, yes. Former teacher. But I think of it just, I use this in my, when I, when I'm coaching people, because I think if there's something that I'm trying to equip them with and they're not understanding, I haven't understood them and their strengths and their needs, because I think everyone has greatness inside of them. Everyone has potential and capacity to uh, put a dent in the world in their own way. However, large scale or you know community level it can be so it's really up to us as leaders as teachers as mentors to be able to understand you know how to bring out that greatness in people on a foundational level if we're looking at how we do that as an organization and start putting more focus back on that I think we're going to have much more stronger empowered meaningful impactful workplaces the one word that always comes up when we do work with companies, both in like the consultancy, but also recruitment, it's change. Mm. Um, generally, like I would say humans, we, we don't like change. Um, I think it's very often it's like that negative connotation, you know, it's, it's different, it's difficult, it's um you know, new things that are happening. Of course, that can also be argued looking at what generation that you come from. That's also some of the challenges that I see often working with the, the, the DEI B++ space on how do we create that change and how do we go into a society where, you know, there hasn't been a lot of movement. We've been very homogeneous, I guess, country. And I'm speaking from a, I, I would say, a perspective on how do we how do we build on that change and how do we actually get people to see what we are trying to also establish having that those different opinions having those different thoughts how will that you know also increase uh, not just because we always talk about profit in a company we talk about innovation but it's also 
the right thing to do. And I know a lot of people will say, well, the right thing to do isn't, you know, it's not as important as having economical benefits. But I think at the end of the day, how do we utilize the entire society? Because I feel we're not doing that today. And how do we sort of create that change? But I think, you know, just building on what you're saying, like I remember in my MBA, one of the first things that we talked about was building shareholder wealth. Mm. And, you know, it is the most ridiculous concept that we are burning a hole in the ozone layer and burning a hole in our wallets and like consumerism and, you know, burning a hole in our hearts by the way that we're working to work to build shareholder wealth for like the 1% of the world. Like, just think about that. Like, let that just marinate, (laughs) Um, let it marinate. And this is, you know, part of this whole reimagining the global workforce and creating that change is going, we don't need to do all these things. And so when we talk about, okay, we're going to have short-term profit loss, for example, we need to, again, look at the hierarchy and shareholder wealth structures, for example, because it's not, you know, it all the onus gets put back onto the individual middle class kind of person that's just making ends meet with their families or, you know, trying to pay off a mortgage or whatever it is that they're doing that's trying to live within their means. And there's so much outside of that. There's so much more that we can do if we restructure. And again, this is just, you know, so much of it comes back to corporate greed, but obviously it's not just neoliberal societies, but so much of it is. There's so much greed. We don't need to consume that much. We don't need to make that much money. We don't need to live the way that we do. So in the longer term, if we want to put a stop to what's happening in terms of irreversible environmental damage, we need to curb on everything. So we need to relook this society that we've bought into that doesn't work for 98% of us. Mm. So that's what? a big reflection. <laughs> yeah, and I, I want to build on that because yeah. that's something we've been talking a, a bit about and um, we can definitely take it on further on another episode. Uh, but in short, from all the conversations we've had and some of the readings that we've done, I also think that by design of the cap- of capitalism in the beginning, it, it was actually for creation of wealth for everyone Mm. i think it was to get rid of anarchies and monarchies and it was sort of this new model where everyone can grow um and we've talked about sort of capitalism on that level in the neo-capitalism where it's become this like the 98 percent slaying for that one and two percent but we tend to forget that a lot of times those uh one and two percent for example hedge funds get a lot of shit these days and it's very questionable in, in how they how they operate and what they do uh, to sort of manipulate markets. But at the same time, if we're mindful of how the system is built, it's quite intricate because often hedge funds are acting on behalf of pensions and teacher mm. teacher pensions, four hundred one ks, institutional pensions, and at the that's middle class. Mm-hmm. That that's what belongs to middle class. Exactly. So. I just wonder sort of in this redesign and I don't want to make it sound like we have messed up, but there was well, it was well intended, I think. And how can we govern it and design it again so that it serves a purpose that it was supposed to and not make sort of the, the people who are 
there are very there are a selective few, of course, in this world that are just driven by the greed. We've seen that in news recently in out of Silicon Valley. Mm. But I'm just thinking that there's also a lot of people who sit in that one and two percent who are benefiting today, but they are also acting on behalf of the middle class. So how can we make it so that instead of naming them our nemesis, um, that we actually are a bit connected in this Ooh, is it too cheesy to throw in the Voldemort and the Harry Potter sort of reference? It's kind of like, if you get rid of your nemesis, you kind of get rid of yourself because they kind of live within each other and that they are actually very much interlinked. And it's less so like, you know, if you watch the latest Netflix um, documentary on, uh, it's the GameStop story that, you know, the, the people on Reddit, in short, were commoners and they ganged up and against the hedge fund managers and the wealth management offices and they basically um, created this short squeeze and in the financial markets and made the hedge fund managers basically default. There was a mechanism in the markets where they were able to do that. And so in short, they hurt themselves because um, these hedge fund managers are, even in, the document, even in the documentary, it mentions that, right? And that they are acting on behalf of the normal people's funds yeah, it's really hard it when it's fixed, inextricably it's, linked. It's trickier than getting rid of them. And then they will end up likely, like, for example, these large, going back to like 10, 12 years ago in the last financial crisis, when the banks went back to the government and then you have this too large to fail situation and you can't, the, the governments will end up saving them again. But then the same people who sort of did the wrong moves, they get saved again, but they also they built a case to be saved on behalf of the people. It's like half, it's not even half justified, but it is partially just justified. Mm -hmm. It's a very intricate situation where I think in the redesign, it's it's like, how can we, uh, we're not saying to get rid of the good stuff we've built. We want to go forward, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. I think there are a bunch of layers here, but one of the things in this redesign is looking completely outside of the system as opposed to fixing the system. And, you know, I certainly don't have all the solutions here <laughs> by any means, but looking at things like universal base income, that's probably a start. And there's a lot that's been done. We've talked about this on episodes previously, but, um, you know, in order for the middle class and, you know, people to have upwards mobility below that, we need to have these kinds of things in place. So when things do break down on a, you know, there are things that are going to break down and that's part of like things have to be broken apart to be rebuilt, right? So mm, yeah, they're just obviously we this we can really deep dive yeah. into this and it's not the another primary, episode. yeah, it's, it's not the <laughs> primary solution, but yeah, it's another episode to, you know, have this kind of um, new democracy thinking and that's I think a really exciting place to be. Mm that, you know, Valerie and I, when we were talking in the last podcast episode, it's really fresh in my mind because it was just last week. But, you know, things get harder before they get better. Mm. And sometimes you need to break things apart in order to have that um, restoration and to be able to put the world back in a place which is fair and equitable and where people feel that they actually have a meaningful space in the world. This is such an interesting question that you've raised. And I think I think as as humans, just in society, we have this tendency, we're really drawn to binaries. You know, it's like always us and them. It's just easier to create dichotomies 
to create an understanding and make sense of situations. I think that's just the default that we tend to go into. And I think that's a good thing to be wary of because what you pointed out is that it's really, that's not the reality of the situation. Everything is interlinked. Nothing exists, you know, on its own in isolation. And I think there's also value in realizing, especially what we do at Umbrella, we essentially partner with those people who are in positions to actually create changes and influence change. So it's not necessarily like we're going to take down, you know, all the big people who are currently, it's actually like maybe having a conversation with them to understand you know, how, how are your decisions actually impacting everybody and actually getting marginalized voices up there and giving them more scope and giving them a broader audience to influence. And we don't have to, you know, necessarily, we're breaking barriers, but we're not like breaking the world. I don't know how to like, you know what I mean? That's exactly what it is. It's what Maren said too, redesigning the system and what you're saying as well. Like you're not creating that dichotomy. And this is exactly what you're here to, to help with is to create, to help organizations with the skills that they need, the competencies, the thinking, the shift. I love that. I'm just conscious of time and conscious of the fact that we've got, um, Suddenly, another a whole other species in the room. Everybody um, <laughs> <laughs> breaks yourselves. And I've got to introduce to the um, audience here. So, Tav, we've ha- we have Tavis here. We're just going to call you Yoti's husband. <laughs> <laughs> That's your identity now. <laughs> um, but uh, Tav, you know, umbrella, all the stuff that we've been talking about for the past. Um, on the episode here so far this wouldn't be possible without the strong independent man behind the woman sitting at the The strong independent Um, man and in addition it's been really cool to watch you you know reinvent yourself in in this time period as well you've literally so you have a marketing background um in short i'll let you fix any of that and that uh, i'm saying but you ensure you have a marketing background and um, you reinvented yourself with coding and now you're a developer. So it's just uh, super cool. And you've even used, applied those skills very directly to the umbrella. How, how cool. Welcome yeah. to the table. Thanks for having <laughs> me. So I've uh, yeah taken a slightly different journey to most. Uh, I think uh, something that was really important to me when I first uh, started my career was that I would have lots of different experiences um, before I actually figured out what exactly it was that I wanted to do. So yeah, having a marketing background doesn't necessarily have to mean that I'm defined by marketing, but a lot of the experience that I gained in marketing actually defines the sort of developer that I also want to become. So now in, in my new role, I'm applying a lot of uh, the same skills in marketing, but in a developer context. And that was really important for me. Yeah, so now I'm really enjoying working as a developer. I'm still working with websites and the things that I love to do. Um, but now I'm just applying myself in a slightly different context and being able to help others uh, do similar things. Oh, I just wanted to also, uh, you know, for a moment, appreciate the support and help that you've you provided us through Umbrella with, you know, creating the website, putting it into like, live and the story the wording the the design and everything that kind of also represents the company like who we are today how do you feel being a part of umbrella as well because you've sort of been in the in the back for for quite some time but do you have some kind of unofficial title yeah yeah like yes. an yeah, informal member but uh yeah no, i don't think i have a title as such but uh, i could be an advisor definitely mm. 
we like to call ourselves Avengers. The Avengers, yeah, the <laughs> yeah. Avengers of business. Yeah, I think I kind of like to jump in when I when I have something to add, and then also like to uh, to watch you guys develop uh, the company as you see fit as well. I think Umbrella is also in the same way that you are a combination of different experiences and skill sets. I think that's the beauty of Umbrella, and that you also bring that out in other people that join either partway or full-time or like whatever their capacity might be. Um, I think that's kind of, yeah, the beauty of it. This is so cool to hear because mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard Yoti's story on uh, her previous company, Skillhoos, a couple times. Aren't you also the reason for sort of sparking that company and that sort of existence as a solution? The muse. He's yeah, the, the muse. muse. <laughs> I think definitely I uh, am definitely the spark of uh, I think the company but I'm also just one of many sparks and I think it was more pronounced uh, here in Norway when uh, we first moved here um, that there was a real need for someone to help to really step up and to you know make a difference uh, for a lot of internationals and um, I think Skillhoos was uh, was definitely uh, the perfect uh, sort of company that a lot of people were looking for um so to now also see uh, that happening in Umbrella as well, I think that's a, a, a really great uh, move. And there's, you know, there's always a, a lot of new ideas and a lot of new skill sets that are also joining. Um, so it's going to be really exciting to see where it goes. Yes, and we love having you on the journey. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just have to give this foreshadow because I feel like your role in all of this has been quite interesting. Now, I mean... Now, as I synthesize this in my head, you're kind of the muse in the first uh, first venture. And then you were an enabler in the second part, um, helping with uh, marketing and your creative mind. And for our listeners out there who don't know this, you actually help sort of birth our name as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If Modern Idealist. Modern <laughs> Idealist. That's a uh, tapping into that creative mind. And uh, also you built the website. So I feel like we need to bring you back on and all the partners back on for how they, where they stand in all of this. That's such a big part of being able to take that leap and, and mm. jumping out in that, into that mm. venture as well. I just see, has anyone read a picture of Dorian Gray? It's basically Dorian Gray. He's like, oh, really? I'm literally reading back. it right now. <laughs> I just imagine Tav like on a like big luxurious lounge just laying there while Yachty's painting him the muse. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that uh, a lot of like a lot of these projects that I've been involved with and I think a lot of creativity that comes with being involved definitely stems from the different experiences that I've had in my career. If it wasn't for starting in marketing, you know, I wouldn't have enjoyed working with uh, content so much. I wouldn't have enjoyed creating communications. I wouldn't have been so interested in design. I wouldn't have, you know, decided to to work more with web or to become a developer eventually. So I think it's so important that the more experiences you have and the different things that you try in, uh, in your work life definitely help with, uh, crafting who you want to become as, uh, as a person in your career. Yeah, absolutely. We have an episode where we're talking about the squiggly career. So I know when we talk to people, some people like, oh, the trajectory just isn't, you know, as linear as it should be. And it's like, no, that's where the real value add is, is when you do things differently and you try out all these things, because the more things you experiment with, the more you sort of find your purpose at that given time or, 
yeah, you, I think you are much more settled when you experiment and explore different things. And then, I don't know, Sabrina, at the beginning, you put it really perfectly of how you had these experiences and then found your, I can't, what was the word you used? It was beautifully eloquent. It was like finding that sweet spot to just dive into. Was that today? Yes. Uh, oh, today. <laughs> Something about, I say so many things, I, uh, but I, I, think this whole idea of like a career portfolio I think of my career is like a painting like a canvas it's not because everyone thinks it's a ladder but it's Mm. not and it's it's almost like diversifying your own portfolio of your life and your experience and your skills and the people because different opportunities allow you to connect with different people as well um and that kind of context switching maybe it was inflection point that I said Mm. Mm -hmm. um was yes because at the same time it's it's about like I think it's this like wonderful dance of letting it happen and making it happen, being where your feet are, but then also thinking so big, you can't see your feet anymore. And it's just, you know, being able to context switch and think like really appreciate what you're learning right now and being humble and kind of what you need to still get to where you want to be. But then also just having the courage to, you know, you can do whatever you want. Like you can, like Mm. you can, like, you know, um, I agree. And sometimes I think of it as like, you know, that thing that someone thinks is like this incredible dream, someone else hates it and wants to get out of it and finds it really boring. So sometimes I just think of that and how kind of, it's really refreshing to know that because it seems really big and ambitious and scary to you, but someone else is like, Oh, I can't wait to leave this thing (laughs) because it's not theirs. So it just uh, makes you feel like they're like anything is achievable mm. it's just how we see how we see it in the first place and then the steps to get there can i just add that nobody has a linear trajectory we're just forced mm. to sell ourselves as or in a linear fashion mm. so we end up telling employers and ourselves and everyone around us a linear narrative because we're forced to from from the past decades of how business operates and it's just minimized everyone's potential. Mm -hmm. And I love that, you know, you talk a lot about the migrant workforce and everything that's happening, but really I think companies would be remiss to think that everyone lives this linear trajectory when really, even those who are not migrants, nobody lives that linear trajectory. Nobody sees themselves as a linear trajectory. So, you know, that kind of, I think the kind of power and the kind of potential you guys are tapping into is amazing. So I can't wait to see what's what's there. I think we should have you guys back for like a, you know, first quarter review or second quarter <laughs> review. Love to hear how How's that business goes. going, how wired and stressed have you all become? <laughs> they all like That's the food the... from here. <laughs> it's going great. But I'm, yeah, just so thrilled to um, see that there's like positive forces in the market. So I think we'll have to have you guys back on if you're keen. Sabrina, you can just fly back in. That's yeah, yeah, cool. no worries. And yeah. um, Tav and Yoti are not leaving now that we've got, we're, we're fixing Norway, so we're fixing the Nordic. So <laughs> yeah, and Australia next. Yeah. yeah, you guys rock. Thank you so much for coming on yeah, the show. This is Thank so you for good. having us. us. If you've enjoyed our podcast so far, do leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. And find us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Modern Idealist Podcast. Thank you.